Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So, I heard a story of a seminary student doing his internship at a church, and he was invited to his first elders meeting. He was a bit nervous. He'd never been to an elders meeting before. He didn't know what happened in the elders meeting. Um, But he he felt privileged that he was being asked to do this, to learn, so that one day when he was a pastor, he would know how to conduct himself in an elders meeting. So Monday night. So he goes. And they have a big screen TV set up in the room where the elders meet. And he turned and saw a table that was filled with pizza and wings and snacks and dessert. And the pastor walks in and he turns on the Monday night football game. And slowly the elders come and they gather and they fill their plates with wings and pizza and dessert and they sit down in the chairs and they, they start watching the Monday night football game. And he is thoroughly confused. And so he looks to the pastor and he says, are we going to meet? And the pastor looked at him and he said, oh yeah, this is one of the great secrets of the church. He said, we don't do anything. We just gather and we just watch Monday night football and our wives don't know and it is fantastic. And he was heartbroken. Like he couldn't believe that this was happening. And he said, who makes the decisions in this church? And he said, they just let me make all the decisions. And he was sitting there, a seminary student, and he's thinking, this is the most unbiblical thing that I have ever seen or ever heard. About that moment, end of the first quarter, all the elders and the pastors started laughing. It was a pretty large church. There were numerous pastors and many elders. And they were hazing him. They just wanted to pull a joke on him. They just wanted to get him. And they just couldn't control themselves. They were laughing so hard. And he had been completely fooled. Like he really thought that they were gathering every Monday night as elders of the church to watch Monday night football. The pastor got up. When the laughing had subsided, he turned the TV off and he said, Men... Let's get on our knees and let's come before the Lord in prayer. And he told me about the rest of the meeting. And it was a beautiful gathering of the shepherds of God who loved the Word and loved the people of God and took, even though they pulled a joke on this seminary intern, that took their roles and responsibilities as elders of the church very seriously. And so we've come to this place in 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul wants us to understand that Jesus loves His church so much that He has a plan for it. That He wants under shepherds to lovingly care for His people in His absence as He rules from heaven, 
as He sits on the throne of grace, as the great shepherd, the good shepherd, He is speaking to us through Paul and He's saying, I want men who will care for my church, that will love my bride, and will have a spirit of sacrifice like I did when I went to the cross. Paul is telling us that eldership is serious business because the church belongs to the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Lord God, may we only hear Your Word this morning. May we only hear You. May Your Word encourage us and strengthen us. May it draw us closer to You. Forgive the one who speaks. My sins are great. Set me aside as you and you alone speak this morning. Amen. So we're going to walk through our passage today verse by verse like we did last week. I think this is important for us to understand the words of Paul regarding the office of elder. So if you will look at verse 1, we're... We're going to just walk right back through it, even though we've already read it. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Again, remember, this is a church that Paul planted. He has sent Timothy to be his representative as a pastor in this church. And he's giving instruction to Timothy because false teachers have emerged in the city of Ephesus in this church plant. And so he begins by talking about the office of overseer. Now in the Greek, that is the word episkopos. Now that is synonymous, or excuse me, that is yeah, synonymous, it's the same as the word presbyteros in the Greek, which means elder. So what Paul is saying here is that the office of bishop, the office of elder, one and the same. Now we also see this in Acts 20, 17-38. In this passage, Paul mentions pastor, he mentions elder, and he mentions bishop, and they are interchangeable. Hear that. Bishop, pastor, elder, interchangeable according to Acts chapter 20, 17-38. We are Presbyterians. We are a reformed church. And our system of government calls for ruling elders and teaching elders. The ruling elders and the teaching elders are elected by the congregation. And then, three or four times a year, ruling elders and teaching elders gather together at presbytery to make decisions about the denomination to guide the churches in the presbytery, to appoint men to ministry, to examine men for ministry, to deal with difficult and problematic situations within the church. And then once a year, ruling elders and teaching elders from the churches gather together at general assembly and we make decisions regarding the business and the theology, the doctrine, the problems, the issues, and the difficulties of the church. Now notice this, from bottom to top, your church, your denomination is led by elders. 
elders that you have elected. We have nominated men for the office of elder in this church. In a year, Lord willing, we will elect them to the office of ruling elder. Lord willing, you will elect me as your teaching elder. And we will have what is called a session. Ruling elders and teaching elders who preside loving, gracious, spiritual authority over Trinity and we will no longer be a church plant. Once we have elders, we will become an official church of our denomination. Now, one of the things as a church planner and a pastor that I have not heard very often in the course of my ministry is church government. Very few people ever ask me about church government. Very few people who visit ever ask, how is your church structured? How is your church governed? When I'm out in the community and I'm meeting people and I'm getting to know people, different denominations, maybe perhaps even people who are not in church, I never get asked regarding how is the church government. It's it's just simply not something that people think about first regarding the church. But Paul is telling us in this passage It should be something that we think about. That it is very important that if the church is the bride of the Good Shepherd, then it matters to Him who governs the church and how they govern the church. Now, I'm not going to go into this in this message, but I would make the argument to you that if you study the Old Testament, and you study the New Testament, as you look at the text from Acts, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, I believe that Presbyterianism does a very good job of aligning itself with how the church should should function and be governed in the present day and in the past. No denomination is perfect. No church government structure is perfect because we live in a fallen world. But I would say, looking at Scripture, studying Scripture, that Presbyterianism, the way in which our church is governed, is extremely biblical. Extremely biblical. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore an overseer, elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. The husband of one wife has been debated by scholars And there are different perceptions on exactly what that means. Um, I tend to think that it just simply means faithful in marriage. That the man who is serving as an elder of the church must be faithful to his wife and the covenant vows that he has made in his marriage. Sober-minded, I'm going to quote 
Philip Ryken's commentary on this. He has a great definition. Sober-minded means free from every form of excess, passion, or rashness. Hospitable means that this person, this elder, has an open heart and an open home, that the elder cares about people. He cares about the flock, and he cares about those who are outside the church. That he goes to great lengths, he and his wife, if married, to serve others. It was a big deal in the time in which Paul wrote to be hospitable. There was no Holiday Inn. There was no Hampton Inn. There were no hotels that people could go to. They opened up their home for people to live in times of need or travel. And they spent a great deal of energy and resources to accommodate this person. And so Paul is saying, you should be hospitable. You should be willing to spend energy and resources regarding the people in your flock and the people outside of your church in your community. And I would also make the point that Paul is also thinking of gospel hospitality. That you serve them and you help them and you love them and you give to them and you are thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ in reaching out to them and serving them. There is no room in the gospel of Jesus Christ for selfishness. There's just not. If Jesus Christ has left the throne and taken on flesh and taken our punishment and given Himself for us, the spirit of selfishness should be put to death in our hearts because of who Jesus is. And Paul is saying that this is an attribute of an elder. He cares and he gives and he serves He's hospitable. It also says, able to teach. Knowledgeable of God's Word and doctrine and desirous to help others to the glory of God. This doesn't mean that you, can, that you have to preach. It doesn't mean that you have to teach a Sunday school class on systematic reform theology. It means that you are willing to perhaps teach a third grade Sunday school class. Or you are willing to sit down with someone and talk about the doctrines of grace. That you are willing to explore the teachings of Scripture with others. So as I mentioned earlier in regards to teaching, and I think this is we're having a church government 101 sermon in some sense here. In our denomination, in our understanding of church government, there are two kinds of elders. You have teaching elders, that would be me, and you have ruling elders, men elected from the congregation who are called to serve alongside the teaching elder. Where do we get this? Did we just make this up? 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So Paul is making the point that there are two kinds of elders. There are those who love and serve the church, who are shepherds, but then there is also an elder who labors particularly in preaching and teaching. So it's been the tradition and the practice of the Presbyterian church going all the way back that we have two offices of elder, ruling and teaching. Quarrelsome. 
sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not quarrelsome. Does that sound familiar? Because Paul has talked about quarrelsome earlier. And he told the men in the church in Ephesus not to be angry and not to be quarrelsome. So Paul is giving some insight into the situation. There are false teachers in the midst. They are angry. They are quarrelsome. And so the hint that we see in this passage is that perhaps some of the false teachers are elders in the church in Ephesus. And he's addressing their quarrelsomeness over what? False doctrine. And so the elders who belong to Jesus Christ, who are under shepherds of the high king, should not be a quarrelsome lot. They should always seek the peace and the purity of the church. So if you look at these definitions, what Paul is saying to Timothy, what he's saying to the church in Ephesus is they consider their own elders. If you could sum it up, they should be Christ-like. They should be Christ-like. Now that seems obvious. That seems overly obvious. But I will tell you that that's not always the case. As you think about the men in the future that you will nominate, as you think about the men in this church plant who should be elders, you should be thinking in terms of Christ-likeness. That they have a great love and a passion for the Savior. Verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? How will he care for God's own church? When I was in fifth grade, I worked the sound booth at our church. Had a little window. And it looked out over the congregation. And I had earned the right in the, excuse me, sixth grade, to work in this sound booth. It was, I'd longed for this day. And I had a Pepsi that I took into the sound booth. And middle of the sermon, we've all done it, we're all sinners. It's a fallen world. I nodded off in the sermon. I know none of you would ever nod off in any of my sermons, but I nodded off. You know how when you do that, you do that quick, awake reaction? Well, I did, and my elbow hit the Pepsi can, and it went flying through the air and landed in the back row of the church, hit a deacon's wife on the shoulder, and spilled all down her dress. And my dad was sitting in the choir loft. It was... It was an unfortunate event. And I remember at lunch, I remember at lunch, my dad making the comment to me that if you knock one more Coke can into the sanctuary, how can I say as an elder that I manage my home well? He was, he was joking. I did get in trouble, but he was joking about that comment. What, what Paul is saying here is important. The church and the family are connected. 
the church and the family is different than the world. And that for believers, the church and the family are guided by the Word of God. It is our rule of faith and life. And so, the home for an elder should be a home that's under the love and grace and authority of King Jesus. And if that's true, then you know that this man can then serve the church well. If his marriage is in shambles and his children are rebellious and his house is in disaccord, there's your clue that he's probably not fit to serve the bride of Christ. There's an important word here, children, if you're listening. It says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. What does, what does that mean in the Greek? And it's very interesting. There's, I kind of did a deep dive, on, deep dive on this. It means that the father who spiritually leads his home has a respect for his children. Because he sees them as made in the image of God. Isn't that interesting? That this is not just someone who exists to take out the garbage and to mow the grass and to do chores for me, to make me laugh every now and then. That this is someone made in the image of God that the Father, that our Father in heaven is loaning to us for a period of time. And he's saying, show them respect. Love them well. Remember, they only belong to you temporarily. They belong to me forever. Forever. And parents, if that's not fuel for the fire to have a healthy spiritually healthy spiritual marriage, I don't know what there is, what, what there's left to say. But God is saying, they belong to me, they're made in my image. Your job is to raise up image bearers to show them Jesus. Show them dignity. And if your marriage is not centered on Christ, how do you do that? As an aside. And then finally, verses 6 and 7. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Puffed up with conceit, in the Greek it means filled with smoke. Not really a great way to translate that, but I think they did a good job puffed up. Puffed up with conceit. It means an elder of the church of Jesus Christ does not look down on others. They're gracious. They're forgiving. They're loving. That they are not out to lift themselves up, but to lift others up. It's a gracious understanding and an orientation that fills their ministry.
a gracious understanding and orientation that fills their ministry. That they have a reputation with outsiders that they belong to Jesus. I mean, is there anything more important that could ever be said about you? At your funeral, someone's walking out and they say, he belonged to Jesus. I can't tell you as a pastor how many funerals I've been to. I've been to far more funerals than I've ever been to weddings. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten my car and it's broken my heart that nothing was ever said in the service or outside the service about how Christ-like he or she was. You know, they were funny, they were giving, they, were, they loved this hobby, so forth and so on. It's so sad when you leave and you realize nothing was ever mentioned about their reputation in terms of belonging to Jesus. And then we notice in this verse the devil, 6 and 7. Why does Paul mention the devil in verse 6 and verse 7? He's saying to us, Hey Ephesus, hey Trinity, he's real, he roams, and this is serious. And it is. That the governance of the church of Jesus Christ, his bride, is serious business. Because the devil would love nothing more than to see our little community destroyed. And so we have to pray about that. We have to pray for the protection of the Holy Spirit. We have to be on guard. Pray for me. And pray continually for the elders of the church. That it's not gathering together on Monday night to watch Monday night football. That it is kingdom business. And Jesus' name is on the line. And so Paul is saying, pray, be thoughtful, be on guard. This is significant. And so, as we finish, it's a sermon that is part elder training, is part church government. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that this has an overarching message for our hearts. That as you look at the descriptions that Paul provides regarding ruling and teaching elders, that he's really pointing to Jesus. That he's pointing to the attributes of the King of Grace. And he's reminding us of our Good Shepherd and how He has loved us and cared for us and the sacrifices that He has made and all that He has done for us regarding our redemption. Paul is saying we need under-shepherds in the church, serving the church, 
loving the church, caring for the church, because we need to remember who Jesus is and all that He has done for us. So as you look at this text this morning, as you leave this place this morning, and you're thinking about the office of elder, I want you to think more about Jesus as the Good Shepherd and how He governs you, He has spiritual authority over you, all that He has done for you. And so in closing, hear this. John 10, 11-15. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He laid down His life for us. He who is a hired man and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. It's what's happening in Ephesus. That's why he sent Timothy. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. He knows you. He knows you. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then he says it one more time. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Let us give thanks to the Father this morning for the Son who has laid down His life for us so that we can belong to Him and so that we can gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, in this place, governed by the under-shepherds of the High King of Heaven. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your Word. Lord God, help us to be faithful to You. Lord, we pray for our future elders. We pray that they would love You and serve You they would guard the doctrine of the church and that Trinity would be a place that is not divided by the work of the Satan but is united in Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.